Welcome, everybody, to the Tenacity Strength Fit for Duty podcast. I'm your host, Larry Brown. Uh, my co-host, Vaughn Atin, is still fighting crime in the streets of Gotham City, i.e. New York. Uh, so we'll hope to have him on the podcast soon. I feel like I'm a broken record saying that every week. Uh, but we're going to get right down to it. So this is a this is the Busy Dad edition uh, podcast uh, this week. Um, as most of you all know, if you don't know, I recently have uh, a daughter coming to this world, uh, Zara Jolene, and she's two months old. So imagine trying to fit training in along with uh, regular work and then the podcast and then producing my own uh, YouTube content. That's a lot. But today's guest uh, has a little bit more than I do. Um, so I would like to welcome on Ed Koo of Fortify Supplements. Ed, how you doing today? Good, man. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Wonderful uh, soon to be fall day here in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, but I wanted to dive right into it because I know you're going to your son's football practice. You're a very involved dad. Uh, so I just want to get a little bit of a background on you uh, to the people that may not that to the people that aren't familiar with you. Uh, how did you get into powerlifting, bodybuilding? And uh, did you play football yourself on a collegiate or on a high school level? Yeah, no, I mean, I started football, um, like organized football in high school. And I was okay. You know, I was a starter on varsity my sophomore year. Um, but, you know, I played in a little city called Lodi near Stockton, where I grew up. I was raised in, uh, you know, I was actually uh, born and raised in Stockton. Um, and so the school I went to wasn't a big time school, you know, not a big time, uh, um, not like down here in Orange County where I live right now in, in Southern California. But, um, you know, back then you didn't have the proper training. Or, you know, my parents weren't super involved. You know, I had typical Asian parents, you know, study, study, great grades. Um, so they really pushed me into sports. So I pushed myself into sports. I pushed myself into lifting weights. You know, I pushed myself into everything, um, but, you know, I played all three sports. I played baseball, played basketball, played football, really loved football, um, and I was inspired to lift weights. I don't think it was insp inspiration from football. I, you know, I can't remember back then quite yet, but it was because of football and or just bodybuilding in general, bodybuilding and powerlifting. Um, you know, I was enamored by you know, the guys in the bodybuilding magazines like Lee Haney and, and Labrada and those guys growing up, you know, I go, you know, these guys look so cool. And, you know, every teenager, every young male that's hitting puberty looks at those guys and go, I want to look like that. So I was no different from anybody else. You know, we all want to look like comic, you know, comic book figures, you know, at, at some point in our life. And uh, I was no different. So, you know, I took to that. I really liked the way they looked. Um, and then powerlifting kind of fell into my lap, um, not because of the sport, but because of my training modality. And I learned at a very early age, around 12 years old, that um, I had to use progressive overload. And this is way before when that word progressive overload was even popular, you know, nowadays. Um, back then, it was... Um, kind of the only way I would train analogy and I'm sorry we're skipping around you know I'm skipping around different uh, subjects I'll get back to where you know my my childhood but 
um, I learned this methodology through this individual named Stuart McRobert. And it's a book called Brawn. And I highly suggest all your listeners to, to buy that book on Amazon and read it. Um, it's probably the most influential book you could ever read about lifting natural. And I know a lot of guys are like, oh, here goes another natty guy. But seriously, like it's a, it's a book that I think uh, every hardcore or beginner weight trainer or any guy that's lifting weights right now should read. Um, because that's where I drew my inspiration by reading that book. And, um, and it just basically explains how to progressively overload, uh, your big lift. So it said, you know, um, don't follow the bodybuilders that you see in the magazine, which was a big thing for me, right? Cause I was following, uh, that my first two icons I followed was, uh, Sonny Schmidt, the late Sonny Schmidt who passed away and, uh, Milos Sarsavez, they were training partners. And, um, they used to train, uh, at world's gym in San Diego and they would, you know, do the photo shoots and flex. And I'd look at them going, Oh my God, I want to look like that. So I stopped training that way because I read this book by Stu McRobert and it basically outlined how to pick for, for guys like me that had, you know, no genetics that was average. Um, you know, guy that said, Hey, listen, for the average guy, you can't train the way these guys train and expect to look like them because a, you don't have the genetics B, you don't, you're not on the drugs that they're on. So you have to train a certain way and it's not that way. So I really listened to that. And, you know, he's basically said, pick, you know, core exercises, like five big exercises that would squat, the bench, the deadlift, overhead presses, um, some rows, and that's it. Those five movements and just get really strong on those five movements. And so, you know, when you think about it, you know, and I don't want to go too much into detail, but what he was saying in the book was, look, if you can increase your bench squat and deadlift by 50 to 200 pounds in two to three years, you could increase your overhead press by 100 pounds. You could increase your bent over rows 200 pounds in, in a couple of years. Your shoulders will be bigger. Your arms and you know biceps, triceps will be bigger. Your legs will be bigger. Chest will be bigger. And your back will be bigger. Without doing all those detailed movements, cable movements, all those movements, just focus on increasing weight over reps with those five big movements. And uh, the analogy he gave was you could take a guy that's doing uh, triceps and he's doing 16 sets, you know, um, every week for his triceps, trying to grow his triceps and take a guy that just focuses on increasing his bench press and he increases the bench press by let's say a hundred pounds over two years. Who do you think is going to have bigger triceps? The guy that increases bench by a hundred pounds, two years, or the guys that just been pounding away on triceps for two years with a bunch of, which, you know, just a bunch of like volume work. And so that really hit home to me. And that's kind of what I did. I, I picked, you know, very big compound movements. I focused on just trying to get stronger, but not just pounding weight, you know, every week and trying to go for rack max PRs. And I think, you know, and I, I might offend some people with the progressive overload method, but progressive overload means not trying to beat your records each and every workout. It actually stemmed way back when um, in the 70s by taking about 70% of your weight 
weight. So let's say your max weight is 100 pounds for curls for 10 reps. That's your max. And you need to beat that 100 pounds for 10 reps. Well, how do you do it? Well, in, in today's era, people just take that 100 pounds and try to pound the shit out of it. And they try to go, okay, 100 pounds for 11 reps, 100 pounds for 12 reps, 100 pounds for 13 reps. And yeah, you can do that and you can get stronger to a certain degree. But unless you're, you know, like genetically gifted or on gear, you can't do that week in, week out. It's just not possible. So how do you do that? How do you actually get stronger? Well, you take about, there's no hard, fast written rule, but the written rule that I learned was take about 70 to 75% of that. So if you use 100 pounds for 10 reps, I would take, let's say 75%. So I was curling, you start at 75 pounds times 10 reps, okay? That's your week one workout. Easy workout, right? Didn't really do much. But on week two, you increase it by five pounds. So now you're at 80 pounds for 10 reps, a couple sets. Week three, you're at 85 for 10 and so on and so forth. By you know, a couple weeks, by what, five, six weeks, you're, all, you're gonna hit your PR, your previous PR of 100 pounds for 10 reps. And then you go for 105 pounds, or if uh, we used to call them diamonds, because of the work that with the, the little two and a half pounds, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, little two and a half pounders, or not, uh, yeah, the two and a half pound weights that you put on the ends, or, you know, yeah. they're yeah. a little, they're basically a little disc, and people, you know, they don't use them at the gyms because they're just like, fuck that, I'm not going up two and a half pounds. But back then, we used to call them diamonds because those were the determining factors of how you actually get stronger. Because if you utilize those, the diamonds, you can actually take small incremental uh, increases in weight without killing your momentum. So now at 100 pounds for 10 reps, the next week I go to a, you know, I go to, a, oh, I'm sorry, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, go back on that. We used to call the diamonds the one and a quarter weights. So there were there were weights out there that were one and a quarter. That's what they weighed, one and a quarter, and they're small little discs. And when you put them on each side, that's two and a half pounds total weight, right? So it's not a lot of weight. You're like, why would I go up two and a half pounds? That, that's meaningless. But if you're doing this type of workout and you're doing smaller body parts, you know, smaller movements like curls or triceps or whatever, shoulder presses, then you need those. You can't take five pound increases every workout, you know, unless you're squatting or benching or deadlifting, whatever it is. So, you know, by the time I get to a hundred pounds for 10 reps, I take that increase and I'm at 102 and uh, 102.5 pounds. And I hit that for 10 reps and voila, I have a new PR. So let's keep going. The following week, we'll go to 105 pounds, 10 reps. Got it. Go the next week, 107 and a half pounds. Get it? Got it. 10 reps. Great. 110 pounds and you get 10 reps. Great. Following week, 112.5 and you fail. You get nine reps. Okay. So at that point, you've just got a 10 pound PR on your curls, right? Not bad. I, you know, people might be listening to this going, that's nothing. Okay. Well, I ask you, if you're listening to this, how much have you increased your curl weight over the last two years? <laughs> right? So if you're talking about a 10 pound increase and in, let's say a 12 week cycle, and you have four of those cycles in a year, that's 40 pounds in a year. Now, how many of you guys in the last two years? of your dumbbell curls or barbell curls, let alone 40 pounds, 
So that's the whole premises of the progressive overload that I learned is go to your max. Once you hit your max and your PRs and you've gone past to where you can't progress anymore, you take a week back, you know, take a week off, a deload period. And then your first week back, you scale everything back to 75% and you work your way back up. I did that for everything. I did that for, for, for shoulder presses, closed grip bench presses, curls, tricep extensions, squats, bench, everything. And, um, you know, at that time, I was very patient with the gains because obviously with that type of workout, it's humbling because you're in the gym and you know you could do more weight than you're actually doing in the first four weeks. And it sucks. It's a boring workout. But you know that you have to stick to the plan. You want to stick to the end game because you know, you know, the end game is one, two, three, four years from now. You can increase your weight, your 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 given exercise weight by a substantial amount. Therefore, putting weight on. I use that program uh, along with twenty rep breathing squats, and that's another big movement. Um, I did those every week, and twenty rep breathing squats. That's just a whole nother demon by itself. But basically, you're taking. Um, you're taking a weight that you could do about 10 to 12 reps in your squat. Like that's your 10 to 12 rep squat max. And every and, and you're you're eking out to 20 reps. And they're very painful. Uh, most guys, I've never seen guys doing them because they're 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 hard. Um, but you, you know, after number 10 or number 12, where you hit failure, you keep the weight on your back. You take, you know, a couple of breaths. That's why it's called breathing squats, 20 rep breathing squats. You take a couple of breaths you go down for number 11. You take a couple breaths, you go down for 12. You take a couple more breaths, you know, five, 10 seconds in between reps, you go down for 13. And you keep doing that until you get to 20 reps. Um, again, they're, they're probably one of the most painful things you'll ever incur. Uh, most guys nowadays can't even go past 14 or 15 without quitting, um, you know, because your legs will be shaking, your, your vision's gonna start going. Um, it, it's just, it's just, it's hard on your system, but you know, I did that for four years in high school. I went from 110 pounds my freshman year to, uh, 220 pounds my senior year. So I gained basically a hundred, I, I doubled my body weight from my freshman year to my senior year using met, that methodology along with, you know, eating a lot of food. Um, so I'm a big believer and the progressive overload, the way it should be done. And the way the guys are doing it now, they're doing it now, um, not understanding that you have to scale back 75%, um, you know, obviously because either they're genetic freaks or, or they're, you know, they're using gear. So that's how, you know, the natty guys were doing it. And that's how I trained my son. My son does kind of the same routine. Um, and he's gotten a lot stronger from that. And you know, it's not a very sexy or popular way to train because, you know, you, if you, <laughs> you, you always have to keep your mind and, and goal, uh, you know, in, in the future. So, you know, making little small gains like five or 10 pounds every cycle is real shitty. You know, you're, every 12 weeks, you're only making 10 pound gains. You're like, dude, this sucks. But remember, those 12 week 10 pound gains in one year are going to be it's 40 pounds. That 20 pound uh, gain on your squat every 12 weeks adds up to 80 pounds on your squat. You know, if you put on 80 pounds on your 10 rep max squat, max squat every year, that's a what two years, that's 160 pounds on your, on your squat. How much bigger would your quads be? 
your hamstring, everything, everything, your lower back would be stronger. Everything would be bigger and stronger with that methodology, but you virtually see no one doing that type of training. Um, you know, and, and powerlifters still do that to this day too. They do a degree of that where they scale back and they ramp up and that's why they're so cock strong. So, you know, in bodybuilding terms, I learned that in bodybuilding way back when, and, um, you know, that's how I was able to put on a lot of muscle and a lot of strength early on using, you know, gear and steroids when I was younger, um, even through my twenties. Um, but I was, I was all natty, you know, I don't have anything against guys that use, obviously, you know, um, there, there's no, there's no love lost with that. But for me, I just knew that if I trained this way, it was the longer road. Uh, and I'm not trying to say I'm holier than now. So please don't understand that, misunderstand that I'm not trying to give a, 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 an attitude of a holier than now method. But this methodology was a methodology that was, you know, that was created and, and, and used for guys that didn't want to use gear, but that just wanted to get ridiculously strong and big naturally. And as you were you were talking about Stuart McRobert and Braun, so we're around the same age. I remember that book, and I've always wondered about it. Um, but again, like you emphasize, a lot of people will listen. I was one of those people, oh, drug-free, I don't care about that. And I wasn't on drugs, so I should have been uh, listening to that type of advice. But for all of those that are wondering, you can actually get that book from a used bookstore for pretty cheap. Or if you're super cheap like me, you just type in Braun by Stuart McRobert PDF and you can get a free version uh, courtesy of a library. So uh, it's an easy book to get. And I always like to refer back to things like that. Um, I recently saw somebody with those same type of one and a quarter pound plates. Uh, I believe it was a previous podcast guest by the name of James Ball. I'm not sure, I have to go and look back. But uh, those are gaining in popularity. Now, when you're talking about progressive overload and you're saying the guys are doing it um, not completely wrong, but they're not doing it in the correct way, in the way that you would have done it. To be fair, correct. To, to be fair, the guys now, like with powerlifting, we're working off of percentages. So if we know our percentages, then we can scale it back. But a lot of bodybuilders will just use, again, a rep max, like the barbell curl example that you gave. They'll use a repetition max, but they're not using percentages. So when we get into using uh, repetition maxes, don't you think that could be a little bit skewed? Because on any given day, like your 10 rep max could be a 12 to 15 rep max, depending upon hydration, uh, food that you ate, rest whereas this 75 percent number like no matter what this 75 percent is what you work off of well I'll, I'll explain that so you know in, in uh, you know what i tell my lifters i even tell my son is math doesn't lie so if your rep max per, like even a one rep max percentage is always going to is always going to change so if your rep max for any given lift is like 500 pounds for one you're not always going to hit that 500 pounds. You might hit 510 or, or 490 or whatever it is on any given day, right? Everything fluctuates every week, but that's generally what you want to go in because, you know, as bodybuilders, and I know powerlifters are the same way, we try to keep very everything consistent. Like everything is measured, whether food, 
our volume, our training, our cardio, our, our supplements, everything is measured. Nothing is a shotgun approach. So if you're trying to keep all the variables the same, then those variables will always seem constant, but you're right. You know, things will change. So if you're max hundred pounds for 10 reps and you only get nine for, for, for one week, you know, then you got to go for it again. But that methodology, well, I'll explain it this way, uh, Larry, you know how guys have logbooks now? Almost everyone has to beat the logbook, right? That, right? That's the whole thing. So if that's if if your statement is true, which it is, but if you if you only live by that one one excuse and say, well, you know, different things happen, you know, I don't get enough sleep or I didn't get enough meals or whatever that it is, yeah, those things have an influence, but you still have a logbook and you still have a number that you got to beat. So you have to pick a number, whether it's 100 pounds for 10, 95 pounds for 10, you know, 105 pounds for 10. You got to pick a number that's your PR and scale it whatever number that is. And you still got to, you know, start around 75% or, or, you know, 70% if you want to go a little bit, you know, if it's a smaller movement, give it more time. The whole premise of that type of program is you got to allow momentum to build up because if you try to lift, you know, a right go, you know, to hundred pounds for 10 reps every week, you know, chances are a lot of guys just don't get stronger like that. You just, you know, they always try to beat the log book by getting like that. Novice liver, lifters, they can get stronger like that, sure, because, you know, you have so many other things going on to help them get stronger. Um, but guys that are seasoned, um, you know, it's it's hard to break those plateaus, especially if you're if you're not on a on a boatload of gear and a boatload of food and and all these other things. So when we're talking about guys, younger guys. Um, and I know this doesn't apply to a lot of guys nowadays because just, you know, no one has the patience to to grow like that. And I, I could understand that now. But, you know, back then, um, you know, I just I had the patience, you know, and I had that work ethic. And I was only like 12, 13 years old when I when I started using that methodology and started reading all the books. And, you know, I was kind of like a nerd when I was 12 and 13 years old trying to read as much as I can of all the different modalities and, and nutrition and science. And we didn't have a lot going back back then, but I still try to get my hands on everything I could. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad enough that I, I made the choice to follow the Stuart McRoberts and not, you know, uh, uh, the bodybuilding 101 where you do, you know, 16 sets per body part twice a week or whatever it was that most bodybuilders did back then and still do today, because quite frankly, you know, if you're a natural lifter and you are naturally gifted, those routines aren't going to work very well. They'll get you something, but I feel like a progressive overload program will get you that size and strength that you want. And, you know, I can put it this way too. I know a lot of guys that have better genetics than me that started off squatting 225 and they've only increased their squat to 400, you know, where guys like me started squatting like 90 pounds, you know, and ended up squatting 700 naturally. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's a different realm. Um, by all means, I'm not making an absolute statement by saying this is the only thing that will work, but, you know, I've been around long enough where I've seen guys that 
just continually just pound every week, max, max set, max reps, you know, continually just thinking they're just going to get somehow stronger without actually having a plan. I think, um, and now that you say that, and I, I hate to sound like a crotchety old bastard, right? Um, but I think, yeah. you know, social media has, has changed the game, right? So we see yes. people making these tremendous, huge PRs literally every week. And people try yeah. to replicate that. But again, you have to scale it back. We don't know what this person, well, we actually do know what this person is doing um, beyond the drugs. They're getting their meals in, they're getting their rest. And one of the, I was halfway coached by uh, a powerlifter by the name of Brian Carroll. I'm sure you remember the name. Yeah, um, I know Brian. Yeah, so Brian told me that the best lifters have low stress occupations. So again, the person that's making a whole lot of progress in addition to drugs, in addition to food, has a low stress lifestyle. Top lifters, top bodybuilders, rarely have children right they're not yep. they're not doing what you're doing toting your son to a football practice you know right they're not doing that and by the time that does come up they're probably in the twilight of their career anyway if you if a lot of guys don't remember Haney didn't stick around very long after his daughter was born you know right once his daughter was born he basically retired about a year or two later and was good but like a lot of guys don't really have that understanding of accounting for life so how would you pound into a new lifter's head hey you have to account for what's going on on the outside of the gym and not just rely on the math that's in your logbook inside the gym I think there's so many variables and I might be misunderstanding your question, but I'm going to try to answer the best I can. I think there's so many variables out there, right? You're talking, you're, you're dealing with uh, genetics, which I think overall is the number one determinant. You're dealing with if they're taking drugs or if they're, you know, if they have a, 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 like you said, a high, high level of stress job where, you know, whether they, you know, work in the ER or they're in construction or, or whatever it is. Um, if I'm talking to an athlete that is trying to get their career started, you know, they're out of college, you know, they're working a nine to five job. Um, and, you know, they're, they're trying to make something of themselves. You know, this is the biggest time to make your gains, right? You're not going to make your biggest gains later on in life. Um, I mean, some of us do, I did, but it just, I mean, we're just, we're a minority in that, you know, I think the majority of guys are going to make their biggest gains in their twenties. And this kind of leads me to my other point of, uh, of saying, you know, there's a time and place for every time of training modality. So the things I'm telling you now, I don't want guys in their forties to be thinking, you know what, I'm, I might start trying that. What Ed says, well, <laughs> I should have prefaced that with, wait, this is for the guys that are in their young, in their twenties, maybe young thirties that are really trying or beginners or novice lifters, you know, getting into the, into the weight game. Um, you know, I think that's the modality that I, what I spoke about, I think that works for them. But again, I, it just depends on where you are in life. Uh, there's, you know, I, I certainly believe there's not a one size that fits all, um, you know, with younger guys like that, that, 
you know, have to deal with stress, you know, outside of, outside of, um, you know, out of the gym, you know, I, I, I can't, I have to say, I do uh, agree with Ryan Carroll to, to a degree, but there's so many other determining factors to that. You know, when he says the best powerlifters have a low stress environment, you could see that. I, I think the best powerlifters are the genetically gifted. You know, I think that's the element and the factor that's the most important. Um, and then drugs. And then I would say maybe a low, uh, a low stress environment would be third. So it just, it just depends. I mean, that's a, that's a whole nother subject that we can go down later. But um, if I'm understanding your question correctly, um, I would just tell younger powerlifters to, you know, have a good training modality, like the one I, I outlined or something, you know, something to that effect, you know, be disciplined. Um, and you're right, you know, social media has, you know, that's another long subject we can get into. But I think social media in general has skewed a lot of how everyone trains. I mean, there's memes out there, which we all agree that every week is a PR because we're trying to do it for the gram, you know, and it shouldn't be like that, especially for younger lifters who are impatient and they want the gains right now. Um, often at times they won't do a program like I outlined because who wants to scale their weights back 70 to 75%? Nobody wants to do that. I don't even want, I, I, when I did that, I hated that. I, I hated, I hated starting all over the first six weeks were so embarrassing in the gym because I knew I could lift more and I just, I had to stick to the game plan, you know? So I get it. I, I understand it, but you know, it all depends on what your goals are and always remember what your goals are. Your, are your goals to do it for the gram or are your, is your goal to get super jacked, you know? So I think that goes a whole long ways to kind of find the, the mentality of younger lifter and seeing how they can go about uh, getting their goal. And it's funny, um, you know, you mentioned the older lifter, uh, which, which unfortunately or fortunately, depending upon your frame of mind, uh, we're in, right? So right. they can't, we can't necessarily use that same progressive overload model. But let, again, let's no. just be honest, social media is stuffing progressive overload down our throats as like not the only way to grow, but the only way to grow, right? What advice yeah. do you have to an older lifter that has been around the block, such as yourself and your training partner, to keep going? Um, like, what are, what are some training modalities that uh, are working for you now, past 35, past 40, that you feel older lifters can benefit from? Um, you know, back in 2016, 2018, uh, the late John Meadows, who, you know, recently just passed him and I would be training and, you know, I would always go balls out on my failure sets, like grinding reps. And, um, he would always stop a rep shy and he goes, God, Ed, you know, he goes, I admire how much you can grind each rep. And I said, why don't you do the same? You could do the same. He goes, nah, I can't, I'm going to pop something. I'm going to do something. And, you know, every time he trained with me, he always ended up getting an injury. <laughs> and that was our biggest joke is because I, I did push him to get that grinding rep. And he, you know, him like, 
you know, he's like, God damn it, Ed, every time I train with you, I get injured. And I'm like, well, shit. And I felt bad. I was like, oh, fuck, you know, he, I guess he better stop, you know? And that, you know, that was when I was a little bit younger, not, not quite, you know, uh, about like five, what, five, six years ago. So I really even didn't, even at that time, even though I was a little bit older, I didn't really quite grasp what he was doing, you know, until I am where I am right now. And just to kind of give you a brief history of where I am for like the last 12 weeks, maybe 16 weeks, um, you know, I, I've, I'm riddled with injuries. Um, I've got a left hip impingement. I've got a left knee that's been bothering me since I was 19. Um, I've got my right Achilles bothering me. I've got a bad right elbow. Now my good left elbow is hurting. So I had to take a couple of weeks off that. Uh, just recently, about 16 weeks ago, I popped my right bicep. So I had to take eight weeks off of biceps and back. Um, and what else? I, I'm just riddled. Uh, both my shoulders. There, there's. I have more bad body parts than good body parts. And uh, you know, walking up a flight of stairs. I mean, it's it's a spectacle when you see me walk upstairs. I try to look normal as possible, but I have to focus on where my foot lands and where my knee is tracking each step I take, and how my upper body is aligned with where. So if I, if I lean forward. Uh, my knee starts lean back like I'm carrying something. Uh, uh, my knee doesn't hurt. Ironically, when you're when you're upright, you use more quads. So figure. I, I have no idea how that works, but that's how it works for me. So I just been riddled with injuries. I'm dealing with injuries, um, and so I, you know, I had an epiphany a couple times. And my keep in mind, my epiphanies go away a lot because I get confident. You know, I'm I'm feeling healthy, and then I I just just switch out sometimes with my training modalities but back 2019 18 19 I started training all my heavy lifts which weren't really heavy but all the lifts uh, with like the barbell work last in my workout so I would do a lot of selectorized machines which you guys call uh, what weight uh, weight machines um, I would do weight plated machines kind of in the middle of the workout and then my barbell work or dumbbell work at the end and um, I consider the weight plated machine work the same as barbell work. I, I don't see any difference between a hammer strength and an incline. Um, the only thing I see as a difference is, is balancing the weight, but I, it's free weight. It, to me, it's still free weight. So when I started doing that, I started feeling really good. You know, I did, you know, for legs, for instance, I would do a 10 minute bike. Um, and then, uh, and that was a 10 minute bike hard, you know, increasing every minute, you know, the levels on the bike until well, I was all out doing the last 10 minutes. And then I would do, you know, a ton of leg curls, high intensity leg extensions. Uh, and then I would go into maybe a, you know, sets of 20 on the leg press going up and just doing a ton of volume. If I had to squat, I always squatted last and it just felt better. I could feel my quads and, and, you know, I just felt better doing everything last. After I started doing all that, I, I started getting confident again, right? Cause everything's feeling good. So you're like, well, let's switch. Let's start squatting again, you know, in the beginning of the workout, cause you want to hit bigger numbers. So of course you start squatting again. And at that time I was squat, I was trying to squat uh, 405, 
high for 20 reps, you know, and, you know, dumb, dumb, but I, I did that for like almost a year, year and a half trying to do that. And I got to 16 reps, I think over the course of that time. Um, but, you know, even recently now, I still been training some of the heavy, the heavier lifts, I, you know, the barbell work, dumbbell work in the beginning of the workout. And that's, what's really like, I don't know what happened. And something just happened to me in the last year, but I've really just been riddled with more injuries than I've ever had. And, you know, I kind of had an epiphany a couple of weeks ago. I, I just have to stop. I have to stop this nonsense because everyone I've talked to that's older than me that have been in this game for a long time said, Ed, all this is going to catch up to you all of it. And the big thing that I always use, the big word I always use is what is sustainable, like sustainability. What can I do that's sustainable? So, you know, for instance, if a guy says, I'm going to do a diet hardcore and lose a bunch of weight, so I'm just going to eat fish and vegetables. Okay. That's great for short term, but is that sustainable? Can you, can you sustain that? So two years ago, I was squatting near 500 pounds for reps and I knew in the back of my head that that's not sustainable. You know, that's good. I'm squatting 500. I'm getting deep. I'm, I'm liking it. feels great, but it's just not sustainable. So if it's not sustainable, why do it? Why keep doing it? If eventually something bad's going to happen, right? So still the, the non-better half of me kept on going. And I remember I squatted 500 for four reps, racked the weight. Everything was fine. I was like, cool. And then um, after that workout, the next day, my left knee started hurting. And it hurt really bad. So I was like, the fuck's going on? So a week goes by and I was like, I can't squat anymore. And I had to take, uh, I had to take six weeks off of legs. And then when I came back, my left hip, for whatever reason, started hurting. On the week I was supposed to start coming back for legs. So I had to take another couple of weeks off. And this is like a, like a broken, broken record. This just happens. Every time I try to push something, whether on the incline barbell press, which is one of my favorite lifts for upper body, uh, you know, I try to push, uh, you know, an eight rep max, 10 rep max, whatever max. And I end up busting out one of my elbows or shoulders. So, you know, when I start grinding the reps, like my last rep is like a grinder where it takes three to four seconds to get. That's where I end up hurting myself, where I have to take six weeks off. So, you know, I just started thinking about it more. And I know this is like a common sense thing to, you know, the audience that are listening and people are thinking like, so like, <laughs> just don't do it. Well, we're in the, when you're in the mix of things, you don't really think about it. But, um, you know, I was thinking about those grinding reps and high volume because I do, you know, I tend to do a lot of volume. I tend to do, you know, I, I think in my head, a high amount of frequency, you know, um, I need to scale things back. When I came back from the bicep, uh, bicep tear, and then uh, I came back from, you know, the knee and the, and the hip and everything else, I just started doing my machine work first again, like I did a couple of years back. And I told myself I wouldn't do anything less than 12 reps, even on my warmups, 12 reps, 12, everything going up. Because traditionally how I warmed up for years, for decades, is I would do powerlifting warmups. So if I had a 10 rep max coming up, let's say it was 500 pounds for 10 reps, um, I would do 135 for 10, 225 for eight, 315, 
for five, 405 for three, 455 for two, 475 for two, and then I do 500 for 10. So I wasn't really warming up. I was just feeling the weight, but I wasn't like doing, you know, reps. I was just trying to save myself for the final, my failure set. And I, I, like I said, years, I've been doing that for years. It's never, that's just ingrained in me for, for decades. So I recently just changed that a couple of weeks ago and I'm trying to pre-exhaust the muscles now. So instead of doing it that way, I just take three or four progressions in my weights and I always use whatever reps I'm doing. So if I'm doing 12 reps, which now I'm not doing anything less than 12, I'll do my warmups at 12, 12, 12, 12, till I get to my heaviest weight. And hopefully it'll max me out at 12 reps. And I'm doing, like I said, nothing under 12. Um, all machines, all selectorized machines first. And, you know, if it does, if I have to do barbell work or dumbbell work, it's always at the end. And I only do one failure set at 12 reps at that barbell work. So let's say I'm doing incline presses at the very end of my chest workout. And, you know, I can only muster up 225 for 12. I'm going to stay there. You know, it, it doesn't matter if I can go 245 or 275 for eight. I'm not going to. I'm going to keep staying at 12. And, uh, you know, using that type of workout for the last couple of weeks have really improved my injuries. Like, I feel so much better doing it that way. And I know in, in the back of my head, that's sustainable. That is something I could do into my 40s, my late 40s, my 50s, my 60s. I can keep doing that. I can keep doing the selectorized machine work, high reps, and just keep with that and, and be, you know, and, and not having injuries. And I wish I would have done this a long time ago. You know, I wish I would have took John's advice and not do the grinding reps at the very end of my, you know, the, 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 what we call in bodybuilding, the growth rep, right? That last rep of your set where you're grinding it because, you know, that set is going to make you grow. Well, also is going to get you injured so <laughs> it's a balancing act. i get it you have to have those reps when you're trying to grow maybe when you're younger or when you're a novice but when you're a non-novice in their late 30s 40s it, it's just not going to happen you know and yeah there are the outliers out there that can keep doing that the guys with big joints big elbows big wrists Never, you know, my one of my training partners donnie don moore he's a horse chiropractor of all things he's in his 50s and he never has any pain in any of his joints, none. And you could say, well, that's because he picks up horses all day. No, it's just he's a, he's a genetic anomaly. He's one of those guys that has huge wrists, huge elbows, um, and he's just never going to have injury. He doesn't have to train that way. He can still go heavy. He can still do all barbell work, dumbbell work. He doesn't have to follow any rules. So yeah, I mean, guys might be listening and go like, Ed, that's bullshit. I don't have to do that. Well, then you might be the outlier. I'm talking about 90% of us that are genetically average, that have small joints, that are older. Um, that's the longevity thing. And that's kind of where I need to keep myself in check. And me being a former power lifter, that's the biggest problem I have is because I always want to go for heavier weights. And trying to keep 12 reps and above, is super hard for me. Trying to do this new warm up like how bodybuilders warm up where they do, you know, reps and reps and reps for the warmups. Just, it's so new to me. I, I don't like it, but I have to do it. So those are like the biggest changes I'm doing. I'm sticking to more cables. Um, 
beginning of my workout and then I'll move to, you know, a barbell dumbbell work at the end. And, and, and I don't know if I said this, but the barbell work or dumbbell work, when I hit the failure set, I only do one failure set with free weight. I don't do double. So on table work or selectorized machines, the weight stack machines, I'll do, you know, my normal two failure sets on those machines. But then when I move to the free weights, I only do one heavy set of 12 reps or above and, um, and I'll move on. So I think that's kind of been a big helper um, for my body. And I'm only selecting movements that I know that I can do pain-free. So if, you know, I know a lot of guys are out there, including you, Larry, you know, we try to do movements that we're so in love with because we just love them. Even though it brings us pain, we still do it. You know, it hurts our knees, it hurts our elbows, it hurts our shoulders. We still love because we love the movement. I've learned to detach from that love for that movement because all it does is it puts me on the sideline where I can't lift for another five or six weeks. And I, and I, I, I just don't like that. So for me. And I, I want to interrupt you there. Um, and this will be my last question um, because I know you're busy. And my son is absolutely terrorizing my yeah. wife, but we got, this is a two part episode, two part, <laughs> maybe three part episode, because again, this is for busy dads and, you know, wives that are busy, want to get in some training and of the older variety that I think that a lot of younger people uh, can get uh, some value from, but I want to talk, you just touched on something that I'm struggling with myself as a lifter, emotional ties to movements i want to deadlift heavy so bad it's ridiculous but the thought of actually wrapping my hands around a bar and pulling from the floor absolutely makes me want to hurl how do we get rid of that emotional attachment to stuff that's just really just not going to work as an older lifter well, you got to think about it. The deadlift was my favorite lift too, Larry. That's my favorite lift. That was a lift I was really good at and I had to ditch it. And the reason I ditched it is because the juice is not worth the squeeze. It's, it takes more, the, the deadlift is the biggest central nervous killer. It, it murders your adrenal glands, it murders your whole body, not only physically, but inside. Where if you do heavy deadlifts, let's say on Monday, try a max bench workout on Tuesday. And I guarantee you, you'll be 5% down your normal weight. So if you do 300 pounds for 10, you'll probably be about 275 for 10. Or if you try 300 pounds for 10, you'll only get eight. Because your central nervous system, your adrenal glands, takes forever to recover off a of heavy deadlift. That's number one. Number two. So that's just a deadlift. But to answer your question, it's, it's hard for all of us because we've been lifting for so long. Like I'm emotionally attached to the squat. I'm emotionally attached to the deadlift. I'm emotionally attached to certain lifts. You have to constantly ask yourself what the end goal is. Is it to lift, to do this lift and, and, and fight through pain and joint pain and, and, and fight through that during the workout and fight, that, fight it during the week only to heal up, to do it all over again? Or is, is your goal to keep lifting into your 40s, into your 50s, into your 60s? And you're like, well, fuck that. I don't want to lift when I'm old. I want it now. Well, believe me, unless you die today or in the next five years, you're going to hit your 40s. You're going to hit your 50s. You're going to hit your 60s. And you get, I guarantee you, you won't be saying that. You won't be saying that I just want to stop lifting. You will hit those age groups where, you know, you, you wish you would have listened to some of this, this advice 
Um, but to get away from those lifts, I think it's absolutely imperative. You have to get away from lifts that do that cause damage. How do you do that? Focus on your goals. Like I said, focus on what what your goal is, what you want out of lifting. You know, what is that? You wanna you wanna look good, you wanna get bigger, you wanna be healthier, you wanna you wanna look like you can lift 600 pounds, but you can't actually lift 600 pounds anymore. You know, those are the things that you have to grapple with. I fight that right now with the incline press. You know, I, I want to do incline pressing more than ever. And I still do that. I know that's what wrecks havoc on my on my left elbow. And I know that if I cut those out, I won't have those issues anymore, you know, or they'll be very less. So what's my goal? Do I want to live in pain and just half-ass everything or do I push everything what I can and get away from those, those lifts that are just damaging your body part? And, and think about this. If it's causing you pain now, do you actually think things will get better in five or 10 years? No, they won't. They'll get worse. And you could follow a couple, you know, a couple Instagram accounts like Squat University that says, hey, you should be able to do these movements late in your 50s and 60s with, you know, with work on your form and work on this and work on that. And I tend to agree. Yes, you can. If you work on mobility work and, and restoratory uh, work and, and you try to recuperate. But a lot of us don't have that kind of time. And a lot of us, quite honestly, don't have those resources to do those things. So for me, getting away from the deadlift was very hard. But for me, the end game and, and knowing what my end game was, was very easy to, to detach from that, from that lift. And that goes with the squat as well. Have I, you know, I haven't squatted in probably over a year now. And was that hard? Yeah, my training partners wanted to squat. They're like, come on, Ed, let's squat. And I said, listen, I haven't done the corrective movements that I needed to be doing to start squatting again. My left hip is out of alignment. It makes me do a hip shift. You know, it, then it causes havoc on my left knee. I'm just not there. I, I know in the back of my head, in the front of my head, I know that the squat will cause more damage than the benefit. You know, so, you know, it takes more than it, it takes more than it gives, basically. So why, why continue doing that when I'm not correctively right doing it? Why not just move to something like hack squats or the pendulum squats that you guys see me doing or, or things like that, that ironically should be hurting your knees even more, but they're not, you know, not for me. So, you know, I think guys in your 40s or 50s or 60s or even late 30s or even in your 20s, if there's a movement that you guys are doing that actually hurts, just stop doing it. There's no hard, fast rule right now that says you have to squat and you have to bench, you have to do this, you have to do that to grow. There's so many different movements and exercises out there that you can do to grow. And, you know, that, that, that whole paradigm of you have to squat to get big legs, it's such bullshit. That's coming from a guy that would, would, would say that all the time. I was one of those guys that said, hey, if you're not squat heavy, you know, just squat heavy weights, stop the leg pressing and the hack squats and extensions, stop all that bullshit. Just get your squat up and you'll have big legs. Well, as I've gotten older and I've matured and there's more information that comes out, it, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but the squat is not actually the best movement for your legs at all. And so if you keep doing that and you want bigger legs, yeah, you can get bigger legs, no, no, but it's not the best out there. So stick with movements that you could do pain-free. That's, that's, you know, again, what I tell you, Larry, you know, stick with your goal. What is your goal? You got a baby, 
you got a family, you're working to this job, you're, you're getting, you know, your YouTube, you know, yeah, what is your goal? Is your goal to squat 500, 600 pounds? Or, or do you want to keep going into your 40s, into your 50s, into your 60s? That'll define what you can do. And I hope that was a wake-up call to a lot of uh, older lifters. It was to me. Uh, I've always put it out there that my goal is ultimately an IFBB pro card. Um, so obviously the training that I do now kind of reflects a lot of hypertrophy. Uh, diet we're still kind of working on. I've cleaned up a lot. But um, no, this was uh, absolutely informative. And I hope a lot of older individuals get something out of it. Uh, fortunately for part one, we've ran out of time. Uh, but me and Ed have agreed, uh, at least verbally for right now, to a part two. We'll, we'll schedule out a, a date and time for that and bring it to you. Uh, Ed, before you go, do you have any parting thoughts that you want to give to our audience? I'm old. It doesn't matter. Listen to good advice because about, you know, about not being married to certain lifts that hurt you or, you know, maybe use more machines than free weights, you know, first in your workout, at least. Um I didn't listen to his advice and it, it bit me just like it bites every other lifter that succumbs to listening to advice because they have to. <laughs> so, you know, if you have an open mind, which I urge you to have, listen to the advice and start early by taking preventive measures by, you know, maybe upping your reps, not staying so heavy, not doing fives or six reps or eight reps even and maybe even go to 10 to 12 even 15 reps you know start with cable movements if you're in that phase you know older phase um you know certainly this doesn't apply to the younger lifters that are trying to hit barbell work and trying to and force you to change because if you don't your body will force you to change and there you have it we're gonna have a part two um and ed is gonna dive into a little bit more of older training uh, his supplement company, Fortify Supplements, uh, which you can find at fortifysupplements.com and you can find them on Amazon as well. Uh, Ed, we're going to put your social media links at the bottom of the description of the video and of the podcast. And hopefully some people will reach out to you and uh, get more info on you. And again, we'll have a part two. All right, Larry. I appreciate you having me, man. I appreciate you taking time out your busy schedule. So Again, for Ed Koo, Vaughn Ateen, I'm Larry Brown, and we'll see you next time.